0: It's all for one and it's one for all, let's go! Here we are, all for one and one for all We'll turn that. we'll fight the stand and we'll stand tall
1: The time that we all been waiting on. The moment all the naysayers been hating on. See, they've been talking down on us in It'll take more than that for you to stop a Houston Texan. A lot of teams talking tough and can't back it up. No, But not the boys on Kirby, so you can pack it up. Reliance Stadium. Is Edition of you Texans can find Unfiltered, a Houston football team. podcast for your Houston Texans. I am Young Ari Gold, and I'm here with my co host and friend, John Wade, the Garnet Texan. And we have a special guest on the phone uh, to talk Texans with us. We have Rivers McCown from The Athletic. Uh, he can be followed at on Twitter at, oh, let me load up Chrome, at Rivers McCown, M-C-C-O-W-N. Uh, make sure you follow him. He does a lot of good film breakdowns and a lot of great articles. If you're looking for more of the... Genuine articles on the Texans, he would be the main guy to follow. As we have, as you have heard from us and, and the local media about the local media and our kind of thoughts on that, uh, Rivers gives you a very very good outlook on the Texans. So, Rivers, thanks for uh, thanks for taking time out of your Wednesday night to join us. Sure,
2: guys, glad
1: to be here. Yeah, so Rivers, why don't we just do a little bit? Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to the athletic and and how long you've been doing this and uh, why you love doing it.
2: Uh, sure. Uh, I started writing my football in about 2009. Um, I came up through kind of my own little scratch blog and uh, made it to Battle Red blog, uh, as far as text and stuff goes. Through there I got to SB Nation Houston, which was kind of a short-lived uh, variety site covering everything about the Houston area. Uh, I think one time there I wrote something about Carlos Lee, it had something to do with Latin, if you want to know how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, 2011, I get the call to come up with Football Outsiders. I had done sharding work for them before, so that was kind of my foot in the door there. And uh, through them, I uh, still write for them, still through them, I still use an insider. And I uh, got this athletic stuff going on. I've been to a lot of their company's uh, Bleacher Report for a year, notably. Was uh, full time. Uh, I've written for Vice. I've written for the Washington Post, and uh, you know, this year landed at the Athletic. Uh, doing some good stuff there. It's been it's been a new ride for me as uh, a guy who has never done beat stuff before. But, uh, thankfully my, uh, my, my co-guy Aaron Rice has been really good and, uh, it's been great to learn from him Been great to, you know, actually can see behind the scenes a little bit and yeah, I just hope I'm delivering the best scoop I can, everybody.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. And, and Aaron is a, is a great follow as well. I, I read a lot of his articles and I think what the athletic is doing right now is, is very unique. It's nice to see somewhat of like a startup approach from the athletic and, uh, it's cool to see. So, John, this is uh, this is one of the interviews that like you're totally geeked out about. This is where you get to talk to somebody that, being the way that you are, and the film breakdowns and things like that. Um, I know you were super stoked. So, I'll let you take this where you want to go to start off the uh, start <laughs> off the interview with Rivers.
0: Right. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier, and Rivers, and I've also picked up from his Twitter is he was been influenced by by Matt Waldman and Crispy Brown, uh, Smart Football, um, which I think both of Chris Brown's books are just mandatory reading. So, crazy excited to have Rivers on. Um, As you can tell, because I'm saying um. but, But Rivers, I just wanted you to kind of start out and kind of point how you've continued to improve yourself as a writer and a film watcher. You're one of the few guys that really covers the Houston Texans that... Tries to break things down, not necessarily just from an emotional, but from an actual, educated standpoint, and we'll just kind of start off with that.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, it's been it's been a journey. It's something that I still don't think I'm by any means flawless at. I know that a lot of my athletic uh, compatriots are actually pretty good too, like uh, Ted Wynn is yeah. doing good stuff. Uh, I think awesome. it's. At, FB film analysis, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, I've been doing a lot of that stuff. Uh, Having Wallman, having Chris Brown, you know, as people that I could reasonably reach out to and talk about this stuff has been great. Um, You know, you're kind of on the shoulders of giants when you're first starting off on this sort of thing. Uh, And yeah, it's it's crazy to kind of see how this has taken off and, and... you know, all I can try to do really, and, you know, as I think I've done with my film stuff, I've gotten, as we've gone through the season, I've gotten a little bit better editing, a little bit better at spotlighting, a little bit better at uh, finding that balance between how long something should be and, and my main point, and just, you know, you try to get better at it every day.
0: Yeah. If you are a Texans fan, it's definitely worth subscribing to The Athletic to watch uh, Rivers breakdowns r- to read Aaron's articles you will come away as a much better and a much more even killed Texans fan. Uh, again, media kind of here uh, plays to our emotions so we always get upset, which leads to my next question is how do you handle it when we have the chicken little sky is fallen situation on Twitter.
2: Yeah, uh, I just don't really engage that much in it. I hate to say it because, I mean, that really does sound very snobby, I guess. But but there are some people who, uh, you know, from experience, from, you know, eight plus years of doing this at a national publication, I can tell you, well, well they're just never going to take – an argument in good faith, that sort of thing. And when people come at you and you're just like, oh, the Texans run the ball on first down too much, blah, blah, blah. you know, there are there, there, there may have been specific circumstances where that was true. But generally speaking, they they, they just tend to come off as not worth not their worth time. Um, chicken little people in general sometimes have some good points. There are some real points that I think, uh, such as Bill O'Brien's timeout usage, that I think are are worth expanding on, are worth uh, delving into deeper. But for the most part, those kind of people, they they just have one trick and they just want to base you into the big conversation about it.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, it's funny because uh, I was one of those emotional fans on Sunday. I'm very knowledgeable when it comes to football in this team, but when I saw Clowney jump offsides, I had a couple beers in me and uh, I definitely was screaming his name. I think I said he lost us two games this season, Um, you know, very reactionary. And then, you know, I, I came back and watched the film and like the film tells you such a different story. Like Clowney is just this man amongst boys on the field. You know, when you're watching film, what is it that Clowney does that really sticks out to you?
2: I just think it's hard to find somebody with those kind of physical gifts. Like, I've heard a lot of talk about the Texans, you know, possibly moving on from him. Possibly, you know, you, you want somebody who makes uh, is a better investment, maybe, because he's been injured, injury-prone at that point in his career. But you but look at what he does on the interior right now where he's just lining up over guards and destroying them, and it's just not fair. I mean, it, it's amazing to me Kind of, kind of how he has utilized all that stuff under you know Cornell's tutelage this year. So it's, 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 it's almost more fun to watch him than JJ Watt, which is saying a lot.
1: Yeah, no, and it's true. I mean, when you put on the film, it's a totally different story than than the box score. Um, when it comes to the Texans, what do you? When it comes to the Texans and kind of NRG and the leaked information, you know, it doesn't happen very often. And, and now that you're in, you know, the beat writer position, you know, have you found that penetrating NRG and actually getting, you know, good info on what potentially could be happening is is possible? Or is it really just it's tight over there and you're just not going to get the info you, you, you want?
2: Ooh, that's, that's a spicy question. <laughs> uh, I, I would say that if you want to play the transactional nature of of talk to this guy here, talk to this guy there, I mean, you can go up the ladder and you might break something 20 minutes ahead of when it actually happens. <laughs> but, but generally speaking, I, I think the Texans are very good as an organization at uh, quieting down any talk about what they're thinking about doing. And you know, even when you get things to the media, le- leak-wise, like uh, Jason Fora, a lot last year talking about Bill O'Brien stuff, um, it's tended to be stuff through agents or you know the head coach himself or you know other people's camps rather than the Texans.
0: All right, and I had a, a follow-up about the uh, about Jadavian Clowney uh, a couple of weeks ago on our podcast. Well, James- first
1: first. We'll throw it out there. Let him know where you went to school. Let oh, him yeah. know. I'm a, I'm, let him know, like, let, let's let's get this, all of that out there if we're gonna actually, do this properly.
0: Okay, this actually doesn't have to do with the question, but I am a University of South Carolina grad. <laughs> um, so yeah, okay. I, I, I am a glutton for punishment. But my follow up with James, and maybe I can get somebody that can explain it a little bit better, was he one of the number one complaints that they get is why does Jadavian Clowney drop into coverage? And maybe you can answer it better than, than I can.
2: Sure. Uh, it's, it's something that the Texans do a lot when they stack the line of scrimmage. So you'll see uh, five or six people there, and Romeo Cornell is basically trying to find alignments and, and blitz fits that he likes. Um, sometimes Judavian dropping means that uh, a left tackle might be blocking nobody. Uh, <laughs> so you, you can understand why that happens. I think Clowney and Merciless this year have both dropped a little bit more than I would prefer them to drop. I think it, it you know, if their skill set is to rush the passer. you just let them rush the pasture. But uh, given how the Texans' cornerbacks are, it's been kind of a game all year where they need to figure out exactly where to uh, uh, kind of distract you so that you can uh, avoid targeting that. And I think both
1: Clowney and Merciless have been drawn into that. Okay. Yeah. So to touch on the coverage aspect with not just Clowny but Merciless in, in general, um, you know, they've been running a lot more base four, three this year than they have in years past. Um, they, they definitely don't have the four, three personnel to execute the four, three on a, every down basis. Uh, a lot of that obviously has to do with the lack of corners that we have, right? J. Joe, you know I, honestly the he's he's overperforming in my opinion this year if you if you're watching film and outside of that though like Sharice Wright has definitely been uh, uh a good corner for us considering you know where we got him from and and what he's done in his career in the NFL uh, had a bad game uh obviously double moves are not his thing but uh why do you think that the 4-3 is being used more this year, given the fact that our personnel really does not dictate that being, like, that that should be the case?
2: I think they're just finding great run fits with it. I mean, you, you, you see their their run defense to EBA right now is second in the league, yeah. behind only the Bears. A- and I understand that it looks awkward. And, you know, the very act of having Jadavian Clowney at the line of scrimmage in the middle of the field is awkward it's weird to watch and it's as a football fan who's sat through you know tens tens and tens of seasons at this point you look at that and you're like that shouldn't work that's bizarre <laughs> uh, and then every time he does that though he, you know, he lines up over a center and just you know punks him gets him in the backfield and plays over so <laughs> uh, i'm not really gonna argue about uh 3 usage at this point um I think it's just you know that what they're doing is working so well that it's not really worth pursuing uh, kind of an argument about it,
1: yeah, yeah i I don't i I don't want to argue about it because obviously what it's doing is working, but I guess what it brings me to is wondering next year personnel wise is is moving on from merciless, something that could potentially happen, given his contract and given you know where this team is, lots of decisions in the off season. Um, could you see Merciless moving on and, 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 and kind of wanting to, given that he's not put in the position to succeed?
2: You know, we don't really have a lot of evidence about how Brian Gaines is going to run this team. And that's what stops me from being, you know, very, very dramatic about all this stuff, be, being very certain of myself. You know, we we know that he likes safeties. He went out and got Tyra this year. (laughs) He went out and got Justin Reed, which has been a great change of course. I might add, as a longtime fan, from watching the safeties the Texans usually put out there. Sure, (laughs) but uh, you know, as far as Whitney himself, I feel like this organization generally tends to value stability. They generally tend to stick with a player as long as they can, and. You know, we've talked to Whitney himself. He, he's, you, you know, going to the locker room, he's, he doesn't seem upset at all about what's happening. He wants to do the best for the team. Uh, maybe he's him behind the scenes, but imagine as long as they pay him what he's worth, nobody's going to care that much. So uh, I, think, I think Whitney plays out this year for sure, plays out 2019, and, you know, then we'll see what happens.
0: Fair. All right, well, what uh, you... You obviously have access to to the players. I've heard some rumors that, because we were just speaking about Clowney, might as well bring him up one more time, that in the locker room that he's seemed unhappy with his role. Have, have you heard that? Have you seen anything that kind of presents that?
2: I haven't seen anything about that, no. Um, Jadavian, I feel like it's, it's very easy to paint him however you want to paint him. Um, there are players who... I, I guess the best way to put this is there are players in a locker room who they don't really want to talk that much. They're not really part of the media. They don't have any interest in, in, you know, engaging the media in any real way. And Jadavian's one of those. And you kind of saw that uh, Sunday because after the game, you know, he was the first guy dressed in the locker room. And the, the media crowd came to him and he was like, nope, I'm out of this. And, and just walked away the other way. So, you know, I think a player like that, it's very easy because they don't present themselves in any real way. They don't inject themselves in the conversation. It's very easy to write whatever you want about them.
1: Which is unique because his personality is definitely uh, the opposite of that. When he does do interviews, when he does talk, uh, he's definitely this fun guy to be around. He he definitely seems like he's typically in great spirits. And, uh, you know, to... For that to be the case, Sunday makes sense. I totally get that. I, I, I'm i sure he was more mad about that play than anybody else on that team. Um, yeah, so for sure. I, I, he, he's definitely a competitive guy. Like it, It's funny how people will blast him and they'll say he's not worth Mac and Donald money, but those people truly just don't understand the guy's talent. I mean... He really is exactly what you said. He's a freak athlete, and he is so disruptive and is making plays that aren't going to show up, and so therefore he's not worth that money, and it's, it's kind of crazy to me. So, All right, let's get to what some people would reference as our Lord and Savior at uh, the quarterback position, Deshaun Watson. Um, what have you seen from Deshaun over the last two weeks?
2: What have I seen from Deshaun over the last two weeks? Well, obviously the first week, um, you know, I wrote the big piece about him for the Athletics, so I was I was very engaged with that. Um, you know, the the Browns and the Colts both got very aggressive with Deshaun in the last couple of weeks. Um, sent a lot of cornerback blitzes at him. Um, kind of made him, you know, rethink things. And I think a lot of the media what, what they want to do is separate people into you know haves and have nots at this point the texans have their franchise quarterback the bears who knows if they are their franchise quarterback but you know we'll lean toward have right now cuz he's got a 65% completion percentage or you know whatever set they want to support out there uh, and i think with deshaun it's a thing where we ride this weekly roller coaster as as a media as fans because he's out there learning on the job uh, as he should, because he doesn't have, I think he has like, like 20 starts at this point. And, and yeah, when the cornerback, what's uh, game point have is them, he's going to have to learn how to adjust to that, because it's not something that he sees every day. And, and you know, I, I think a lot of people after the game are, are afraid to criticize him, um, uh, afraid to say that he didn't perform up to, up to par. I think it's true that he didn't play that well against the Colts. He left a lot of yards on the field. But uh, he's the kind of guy who, you know, behind the scenes, you know, he's working it hard and you know that uh, a result like that is going to motivate him so much to let it never happen again.
1: Yeah, I call uh, the other day, I, I said that it's the James Harden effect. Uh, you basically can say nothing about James Harden in Houston. If you do, you're not a fan. Uh, you are not, you're, you're just, you're, you have a worthless take and. Deshaun just—he ha- has not been good, and and one of the areas that he's regressed the most, and um, based on the film, is his deep balls. His deep balls are are nowhere near what they were last year. You can see the touch that he put on his deep balls last year. This year, there's there's no arc, there's no touch. It, it's like he's throwing lasers. He's overthrowing left and right. Um, you know, when you're watching the film and you're watching the throws. And, and especially with this Colts game, you know, me and John were saying that this 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 game really came down to two or three plays. And, and those, those two
2: or three deep throws to uh, DeMarius and
1: uh, Deshaun Watson. Yeah, to DeAndre. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Those two plays, but not even just that. There were a couple other plays where, you know, obviously when he held on to the ball, he got knocked out of field goal range on a sack on third and 8. Um there there's just a lot of plays there. We've told our listeners that Deshaun is going – that's a part of Deshaun's game. I I don't see him – I always see him wanting to play hero ball. But is that kind of what you expect, or do you you see him really developing and understanding that he needs to stay in the pocket and he's going to have to learn to get rid of the ball?
2: I think the best quarterbacks of the NFL continue to learn something every year. And what we've seen from Deshaun this year, I know it may not look as good statistically, but he's growing a lot as a player. He's still growing a lot in the three-step drops, the five-step drops. So it's really hard for me to say that, uh, you know, he's never going to change. But I do think he will always have that kind of aggressive personality as as a quarterback. I do think that he will always play hero ball to some extent. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, though. I think that's something... That uh, as, as, if I were designing an offense, just to, just to put it out there that way, uh, I would always want my quarterback to have that kind of mindset. I wouldn't want, I would rather have Deshaun you know, going, for, uh, going for it all in third and eight than checking down to a tight end two yards from the line of scrimmage.
0: There's been also a lot of, I guess, complaints about how the offense has changed this year and how we've gotten away from things that we had a lot of success last year with. Um, have you seen that? Do you think that my opinion on it has kind of been Bill O'Brien's trying to teach Deshaun to be a better quarterback long-term instead of relying on gimmicks to get through the short-term? Do you agree with that? Do you think I'm off base?
2: I think that's pretty much what's happened, yeah. Uh, The first couple games, I think Bill O'Brien probably pushed it a bit too much. Um, (laughs) He he, he tried to, to put all the learning on Deshaun right away. And it became a thing where, you know, not only is he trying to learn this, you know, this new style of play, this, uh, these, these new reads, the, you know, the, when, when to read the safety coming up here, when to read him coming up there, at the same time, he's dealing with an offensive line that was objectively terrible. For, for those first three weeks, and, and so now you're not only you know putting that on him, but you're also speeding up his process, and it became a situation that was untenable. So week four on, I think they re-engineered the offense to bring back more, while still giving Deshaun time to learn what he needs to learn in three step five step drops, and generally that's worked. Um, I think you can say Bill has been a little bit lucky this year because they've won a couple of tight games. The record looks maybe a little better than it should be. But, you know, at the end of the day, the results are a matter. And I think the results have generally wound up pretty good for him.
1: Yeah. No, I agree 100%. All right. Uh, I want to get into this offensive line because you watch film. Uh, I watch film. John watches film. This offensive line has, has definitely improved on the season. Um, it, it's gotten a lot better. And obviously in, 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 in the run game, it's dramatically and drastically improved. Pass protection, though, there are still some areas of improvement. Um, it, it's, I would say it's maybe an average offensive line right now. What would your assessment of the offensive line be?
2: Oh, I think average is a little kind. Um,
1: <laughs> okay. I, I, think, I think what they've done this year
2: is, is – how can I put this best? I, I think they've had games that have shown you guys what they can be when everything's firing on all cylinders but the consistency especially at left tackle especially at right tackle is not there so you know you have Davenport you have Kendall Lamb out there and they both are capable of having solid games but they can't put it all together on a on a game-to-game basis and I think the interior of that line I think Nick Martin has had some bad games I think uh Senio and uh, and Volton the throw through injuries I think that in the interior of that line though I think that can be part of an average line I think that can be a line that will hold you back at all it's just those two outside players that I think the Texans really need upgrades and or more consistent play from
1: I, I, I am so happy that you said that about Nick Martin because I feel like I'm the only one that has said anything about Nick Martin being below average this season considering where he was drafted and who his brother is and, and, and the, just the football in him um he has had I, I think with martin it's the consistency thing for me that that really frustrates me there's 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 plays where he will bulldoze and look like he is this rough center that will just lay it all out there and then there's times where he just looks like he doesn't care
2: When the Texans were having struggles early on in the season, the first five or six weeks, Nick Martin was was getting pushed back a lot into the backfield. Um, I I think his improved play has been kind of a a secret driving force for the unit as a whole uh, when people are talking about how the run game has gotten going. I think I think that's just Martin getting a little bit better, getting a little bit smarter. Um, he's a guy who you can't really interview, if you know what I mean. Like, you can ask him questions, and you're going to get answers, but they're just going to be bland answers that uh, <laughs> don't really go anywhere. Um, but, but I think he is getting better, yeah. He's just started out with, uh, with a poor couple of games. Yeah.
1: Um, all right, so there's two players that are pretty much stars of this show for us. Uh, Zach Cunningham is one we were more than thrilled when we drafted him and then two is dj reader uh for me dj reader i feel like is like the most underappreciated guy on the team i i feel like people i I feel like the average texans fan really don't know how good dj reader actually is especially coming off of last year where all the injuries on the defensive line and what he's what he had to do. I mean, he took on so much more responsibilities given the position he plays. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen on film from DJ Reader? And then, if you don't mind, going into also Zach Cunningham.
2: Yeah, DJ Reader is a guy who, you know, we put... I do I do this thing every year for Football Outsiders called the... uh the top 25 prospects list because we put one out and it's guys who were drafted after the third round. So it's not, you know, you're not going to fight Jameis Winston's and and your Marcus Mariota's and your Saquon Barclays on this list. Like it's, it's deep dives. And Reader was a guy who I I pretty much nailed on that one. I think I had him like 17th or or 16th or something. And I wrote about him that, you know, he's, his functional strength is, is amazing he's you know he's got all the tools to be a top nose tackle in this league now the value of nose tackles has kind of waned a little bit as we've gotten more into a passing centric league but i mean this year especially man he's been his recognition on on screens has, has gotten a little bit better i think this year um you know he's been pushing centers around all season you're never surprised to see him occupy two blockers um you know, he's somebody you almost take for granted because he's just he he doesn't he doesn't really show up with bad plays on tape. He just continually, uh, you know, sucks them in every play.
1: Yeah. All right, and then Zach Cunningham. Look, this guy is, in in my opinion, in two to three years is once the BMAC contract it, we're able to get out from underneath the BMAC contract. I think, I think B first of all has had a bad year. Um, at times, there's been times where he's definitely shown back to his, his, you know, a year ago. Uh, But Zach Cunningham, to me, is the future of the linebacking core. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen on film from Zach Cunningham and kind of what you expect from him as we go forward?
2: Sure. I think Zach Cunningham has had kind of an up and down year, actually. Um, You know, he was put in some bad positions by this defense early on. I don't know that he's, you know, the coverage linebacker that's going to go follow somebody like the new age guy, uh, your Telvin snuffs or whatever. I don't think he's the guy who's going to follow uh, somebody out r- running back out and man-to-man and, you know, do a great job on him. Uh, I think Saquon Barkley pretty much ended that one. But, uh, you know, watching him play zone, I think he's really good there. I think when he, he's one of these – the have a habit of collecting players in their back seven that are, are what I would call read-and-react players. Like, if, if they read that play right – They react to it. And you saw in the Browns game, he took the pick six back, but he also had another uh, pass defense early on in that game that kind of, you know, you could see the gears moving for him. And, you know, uh, I think he's going to be a long term fixture in that role for sure. Yeah.
1: Um, All right. So before we we let you go, tell me a little bit about what you expect from this team. Uh, I I don't want predictions in the sense of like, uh, you know, how they'll finish their record, uh, none of that stuff. We, we we honestly don't care about that because you just never know in this league anything can happen. But when you look at this team and you you know, with all the film you've watched, what is your expectation for them in the playoffs?
2: You know, I, I, the interesting thing about the playoffs this year to me is that I think the AFC, you can't really point out a team that is appreciably great. Um, Every team has their holes. I think Kansas City has a defense that you can run on. I think New England might have a deep ball problem with Brady this year. Um, They certainly haven't been playing all that well. Uh, You know, you look down, you look at San Diego, you know, their head coach has been kind of awkward over the last couple of years as far as running the ball too much, as far as... uh, you know, his game management situations, their special teams are always a potential disaster. So, I like what the Texans have. I see they have a good offense, generally speaking. They're they're prone to the, the Deshaun blow up game, but they also have a high ceiling. Uh, defensively, they're not going to be beat by the run. You're going to have to beat them with tough throws, with tough stick throws in the zone as a pass coverage unit, and I think that fits well. I wouldn't be surprised with anything, really, at this point. I am I, I don't think that they are an instant out. I don't think that they are a Super Bowl team, but I could see either one of them happening. I kind of gravitate more towards them winning two games and, and being in the A C Championship. I, I. That's kind of where my brain puts them. I think that they, if, as things stand now, I think they're a good matchup for New England. Assuming that Bill O'Brien is able to, uh, you know, coach the team properly. Uh, <laughs> make make sure make sure everybody is, uh, you know, timed out at the right time. Uh, throw a challenge the flag when necessary. <laughs> 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 uh, and uh, yeah, so I think as long as that happens, I, I think they can take the Patriots this year. But uh, I don't know if you guys have been watching this Patrick Mahomes guy, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he's good. He he he's he's not playing the same sport as everybody else right now.
1: No, we had a huge debate. John John was big 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 Patrick Mahomes. I was big 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 Deshaun. And uh, I I I mean we're talking about one year, so I can't say that either one of us is right or wrong. You know, Andy Reid to me is the perfect head coach for any rookie quarterback, but specifically a guy with the talent of Patrick Mahomes and. I honestly don't believe that a lot of what he's done this season could be replicated in any other system. I think if you swapped Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, I think Deshaun Watson, based on skill, would actually do some – would probably be better in the Andy Reid system. But that's just me. I could be totally wrong. Um, I guess now, since we're there, I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think that Mahomes would thrive in our system, and do you think Deshaun would thrive in the Andy Reid system?
2: You know, Aaron is actually going to be writing something about that if, if the two teams happen to meet. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, kind of, kind of switching, switching the roles there a little bit. Um, and the other factor you have to throw in there is Mahomes got that 4 year adult on the bench. Like well, Deshaun didn't really get that. Yep. He was forced in from game one because Tom Savage is Tom Savage.
1: Whoa, whoa, um, whoa, whoa, whoa! He, I'm I'm a big Tom Savage fan. There, Rivers.
2: Oh, you're
1: a believer. I'm I'm not necessarily a believer. This is what I think about Tom before I let you finish. I think Tom if he was in the right system and had I, let me actually I'll say this, if Tom Savage was in Dallas with the team the way it's constructed right now, I think Tom Savage would actually be a better fit for the Cowboys than Dak Prescott.
2: Mm. Well, I disagree with that. <laughs> I definitely disagree with
1: that. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I, I just I think from a pure thrower standpoint, I think Tom is, is a lot better than what people think and you know, that Jacksonville game, like I, I honestly don't think anybody could just survive that.
2: I think Tom Savage is a quarterback who looks really good when you when you throw him on replay. Who looks really good when you throw him in slow motion. Because I think in actuality he plays the game in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right, all right. I get it. Enough, enough, enough bashing, Tom. Fine, fine. I agree with you. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, Rivers, look, we we really appreciate the time. Um, what, John? We're you gonna let him. finish? Oh yeah. It? I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I just I felt like we've been we've had him on for so long. I didn't wanna. I didn't wanna just keep going. Uh, yeah, John. John wants to hear you, you finish the Deshaun Mahomes thing. If they were to switch teams,
2: right, right, right. So I, I think Mahomes is just—he has this creativity that I don't think anybody else in the NFL has right now, and I think that's kind of his, his elevating traits that I think would place him, uh, for instance, success either here or in Kansas City. Um, I think I think as as far as like the, the raw pure numbers. If you're looking at who would create a better DVOA, I I think Andy Reid's system is is a tilter for sure. I think that that offense as it's built with uh, Tyreek Hill, with uh, Travis Kelsey, is really hard to defend in a lot of areas too. So I think Mahomes is the better quarterback in either system, but I think whoever's in Andy Reid's system is going to play better.
1: Yeah, I think Patrick Mahomes has the number one uh, yards after catch passes in the league.
2: Yeah, that sounds about right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would make total sense, right, based on what who he has on his team. but,
2: but let me tell you guys, uh, in the event that the Chiefs and Texans happen to match up in the playoffs, uh, Tyreek Hill versus Jonathan Joseph is not a matchup I'm looking forward to watching. <laughs>
0: That might be the biggest mismatch among starters in football.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying that Joseph's a bad player. No, it's just he's just. a really not, bad matchup for him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's
1: just not fast anymore. No. None of our corners are fast. Like Jonathan Joseph,
0: I don't know, five, six years ago, would, Tyreek Hill would still have a big game against him, but it wouldn't be as big as it could potentially be. This is... Look,
2: Joseph. Is, Joseph is one of the best free agent signings in Texans history. He's I think, probably, he's, I think he's the best. best. He's he's a great player. Uh, you know, looking at the entire course of his career, but what he is right now is is mostly a zone quarterback. And against Tyreek Hill, that's not really going to work.
1: No. Yeah, I don't. I, I hopefully you know it's it's funny when when it comes to Romeo Cornell, um, playoff Romeo Cornell. And regular season Romeo Cornell are two totally different people. Uh, You know, it it seems like he gets a lot more creative in the playoffs. Like if you take the Patriots game, for example, the year that we had Brock Osweiler. I mean, that still to this day is the worst statistical performance by Tom Brady. And it was at Foxborough. Mm
2: -hmm. It's too bad that Brock Osweiler wasn't actually good or the Texans probably could have won that game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. That, that was by far one of the best defensive games I've seen by this Texans team, hands down.
2: Do you guys remember when uh, the Texans went up to Green Bay and uh, Brock Osweiler and Aaron Rodgers matched up and, and uh, Bob near at the time Said something yes. along the lines of, of, "I think they played pretty much equal."
1: Yes, yes. Rest in peace, Bob McNair. But <laughs> that yeah, was that an w- awful statement. Yeah, we just was,
0: referenced that, referenced that on the show last week. So that's a great thing to break up or bring that up. That was
2: an interesting time to be alive. Yeah. Let me
0: tell you. Yeah, I mean, that's a oh man. We were all hoping that he would turn a corner, but it turns out that corner just doesn't exist.
2: Yeah, I actually just put the finishing touches on a piece for The Athletic Tomorrow about uh, Tyron Matthew and kind of looking at what he's done this year. And one of the clips I wound up using was from the Miami game where he came on a blitz and just destroyed Osweiler.
1: And he did. He destroyed Osweiler. Yeah,
2: he, he he crushed that guy. I was I was surprised there was no flag on
1: that play. Yeah, that was. Uh, I, I agree with you 100. percent I, I literally can see it in my mind. I think I rewinded it multiple times, like just because I felt like that was all 72 million dollars in one hit. <laughs> yeah,
2: was that, that was that was a rough hit
1: there. <laughs> awesome. Well, Rivers, why don't you? Uh, so you have the Honey Badger piece coming out tomorrow. You know, what else do you have coming out soon? And um, you know, on the athletic.
2: Well, typically they give me a reaction piece every week and then sort of something I'm doing on my own. And the Tyron stuff is, is something that I do on my own. One other thing I'm thinking about doing a couple of weeks from now is uh, a lot of people have asked DeAndre Hopkins this year about if he's the best receiver in the NFL. And he's been kind of coy about it. Um, he's not really He doesn't really want to answer the question but he kind of knows the answer to the question, but he didn't want to say it. And I just want to throw the statistical argument out there that, yeah, he actually has been the best receiver in the NFL this year, and the only guy who's even been close is Michael Thomas.
1: Yeah, no. I, honestly, I don't even think it can be argued. I think, I, you know, stats are a huge part of a wide receiver's games and the and game, and that's what people look at for sure. But he's another one of, guys, one of those guys that when you put on the tape, this guy just embarrasses DBs left and right.
2: His skill... Um, as far as breaking out of man coverage has been, and, and full disclosure, at the time, at the time, I'll go way back here. I'll, go, I'll throw, I'll throw it to the wayback machine. At the time, I would have rather had a uh, uh, Cordero Patterson than DeAndre Hopkins because I thought that he would get bodied by NFL DBs, and that's something that I have been incredibly wrong on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I don't think you're the only one. I think that 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 was that was his not coming out of college.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know. Seeing what he does now with these guys, how, what a technician he's become on not only his routes but also just his releases. It, it's 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 hard to to appreciate sometimes with the all twenty two views. But you know when you get a good one, uh, it's, it's it's fascinating to watch him watch him and Jalen Ramsey battle.
1: Oh, that's the best matchup of the year. I love seeing it. I, I they are so physical with each other. It reminds me of Andre Johnson and. Uh, uh, fin- Finnegan, right? <laughs> oh, oh is that his name? Yeah, <laughs> Inegan, In- right? They, he beat the f out of him. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, like that. That was. That's what this reminds me of. It reminds me of that physical matchup. I don't think it'll ever get to that point. But speaking of Andre Johnson, do you think, like, do you? Th- God, I don't even know how to phrase this question because Andre Johnson to me is my, he's my favorite Texan of all time. Uh, the embodiment of a person, a man. And then also a football player. I I just, I really wish that we would have had a quarterback for at least three or four more years, so those Hall of Fame numbers could look the way that they should look. Um, If you had to start a franchise tomorrow and they were both in their prime, who would it be?
2: Andre or DeAndre Hopkins?
1: Yeah. Hmm.
2: Hmm. Probably
1: Andre Johnson. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I love, I love Nuck. I love what he does, but. Andre, you know Andre was never like a speed guy, but some somehow some way he was literally always open.
2: Andre Johnson didn't run so much as he collided. I think that's the best way to
1: put Very it. True. Like,
2: you, you you see his foot speed, you see you know the steps that he takes, and you're thinking, oh, well, he's not that fast. He's you know, he's <laughs> kind of he almost looks like he's jogging in place. All of a sudden, then like two seconds later, he's five yards faster your defense, and there's not a whole lot you could do except hope that Derek Carr or oh, sorry David Carr uh, missed the pass.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. So this I look. I'm going to be honest with you, Rivers. If, if this continues, me and John could do this till twelve o'clock at midnight.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, keep going, man. I I, I got another thirty minutes in there.
1: <laughs> okay, well, okay. So if we're gonna do that, let, let's let's do it. Um, I uh, I, I want to talk about the corners now. Obviously, with the announcement of Kayvon Webster, right? Um, you know, he had a good year with the Rams last year. Uh, he tore his Achilles. It, is it fair to say that there's a that he could potentially help this team? In the long run For this for the rest of the season Or do you expect The corners to be who they are Because I mean We got Aaron Colvin Who I You know I, I don't know I think he's still Getting healed But That's just me I know a lot of people Are upset And they think we wasted money But what is your thought On the cornerback position Now with Kayvon Webster back
2: Well Romeo said He's getting healed Romeo said he didn't want To disrupt that chemistry That was the That was the Wednesday quote For sure Uh I, <laughs> listen uh, any kind of outside corner of speed i think improves the texans in some way even if it's only marginally um charise wright i think people kind of have what i'll call zach dial syndrome with him <laughs> where they think because he was off the street and the cost uh wasn't very high uh, with Dials, it was because he was a seventh-round pick. They would always say, oh, that's, that's really good for a seventh-round pick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he's not really that good. He's fine. He's not ideal. And and I think, you know, he's made some good plays on balls underneath. He's made some good breakups. But as a corner, you're usually judged on how open you let somebody get. And Sharice Wright has let his share get open this year. So, yeah, I could see Kayvon coming back and improving that.
1: Yeah. And then when it comes to Kevin Johnson, I mean, he he's not coming back this year now. So, would you say that Kevin Johnson played his last game in a Texans jersey?
2: You know, I think I remember uh, Texans Cap at Texans Cap talking about that.
1: The best Tell cover, me. the the best cap coverage on Twitter, hands down, is Texans Cap.
2: Yeah, I, I'm not sure if they can get out of that contract or not next year.
1: I think it's 9, a, it's nine money. million dead money. Yeah, oh, it's not dead. It frees up nine million Oh frees up nine million dollars.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure if they can get out that or not, but if they can, they they will find a way to do it, I think. Um it's really interesting to me though because they only gave them one game in that new system with that new look, um, getting Romeo back in there. and, and then they're instantly like, Nope, let's throw the towel on that. Fifth year option, whatever. Uh you didn't look that good actually so goodbye yeah it's just an odd about fits to me uh you know given the fifty option decision
1: yeah me and john have this have this thought that kevin johnson uh, what happened with kevin johnson is he never could decide what type of corner he wanted to be uh you know he in college he was great and his rookie year, he showed glimpses. And then when he came back from his injury, he wanted to be this hard-hitting corner. But, I mean, he's the size of a ramen noodle soaking wet. And um,
2: That's one way to put it, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he's a tiny dude. And, and when he lowers his shoulder, he doesn't scare anybody. Like, that play, who was it? It was Kelvin Benjamin, I think, last year in the preseason. He went. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin caught a pass, and Kevin Johnson literally bounced right off of him. As if he didn't realize that Kelvin Benjamin should be a tight end.
2: <laughs> yeah, Kevin Johnson. Um, I think a lot of guys come off injuries like that. Um, you know, not only are they trying to strengthen themselves, but they're also trying to add something to make them uh, less injury prone, maybe. So you know you go you go you you revamp yourself while you're while you're hurt and then you come back and you think you can do something like that and turns <laughs> out turns out you're
0: still that kind of player actually.
1: Yeah, I'll never I'll never forget that play. Um, that was hilarious.
0: Yeah, one thing we haven't really talked about is is the running game. Um, I think we're now third in the league.
1: Uh, yeah, third.
0: Third in the league in rushing. But at the same time, when it's like DVOA, isn't Alfred Blue last? Yeah, he is. So what is kind of your thoughts on why we've been able to have success with Lamar Miller and Alfred Blue running the ball right now? I, I don't know if success
2: is, is the appropriate word. Um, I think kind of what happened this year was the Texans decided around week four that Deshaun Watson's development – was something they need to happen in smaller sample sizes. So they went more to the run game, um, on a down and down basis. You know, you can even look at Lamar Miller. I think ddoa wise is barely average. Like I think he's like right around the the zero to ten DR range. And, and you know, he's had a, a couple good runs. He had the uh, the, the ninety seven yard or whatever. But uh, outside of that, on a on a down and down basis, I think what we've learned is that the Texans' run game is highly reliant on who they're playing, and uh, yeah, if you get the right matchup, they look really good. Um, against the Colts the last week, that was a rough watch. Um, I threw together a, a highlight on Twitter of uh, a bunch of blown blocks from T.L. Uh, of the tight ends, and uh, you know, on a man-to-man basis, they just weren't getting it done.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was kind of obvious that the Colts just overpowered our running game. Hmm.
2: Yeah, you know, th- there was, it was weird to look at that because I was doing something for football Outsiders this week on Oakland because they won that game against Pittsburgh, and I was trying to think about how to put Oakland in context, which is kind of hard to do, actually. <laughs> and I was realizing that Nico Autry, who, you know, killed the Texans in this game, was just a, a free agent that they just let go for no reason. So, pops up room for that one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and this is—it's funny because at the beginning of the year we thought that the Colts, um, their bottom fifty-two was probably the worst in the league, and they were just going to be elevated by luck. But they've actually put together a pretty good team. Which I hate. Yeah, they've hate. been, they've been strong.
2: They've been strong this year for sure. Um, I think they've been really well coached too. They have. Um, like, like the, the the offensive game plan they had against the Texans. I think, work really well, not only because of T.Y. Hilton versus those cornerbacks, but also because Texans aren't really the team that's going to force the Colts to throw to somebody underneath and, you know, pick up six yards at a time or break a tackle. And I think that's something that that receiving corps, you could really say, boy, if it's me versus Zach Pascal with five yards to go, I'm, I'm betting on me.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Um, and then secondly, why do you think the offense completely fell apart without a slot receiver?
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> Bill O'Brien has, uh, has his ways for sure. Um, I think what we, what we know is that, uh, he practiced with, uh, Joe Webb as the slot backup and that's the formation he preferred. So he just kept going with it. Um, if it were me, if I were head coach, um, would have been more of a Jordan Akins game. I think I do. Really I like what I've seen out of him. I think Texans fans are sleeping on him. Although I think Aaron wrote a piece on that today, actually. But 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 yeah, I think I think he's really performed well in his limited opportunities. And it boggled my mind that the Texans went away from him in the second half of that game.
0: Do you have an opinion on why Ryan Griffin plays more than Jordan Aikens, other than other than you know? that Griffin's the veteran, but when you watch it out there, to me it seems like Griffin is just a marginally better blocker, marginally better route runner, and he is a veteran, so why don't we let the rookie play?
2: Yeah, I think I think marginal marginal in this case is actually pretty significant. I think that what the Texans saw from Aikens why they, when they picked him was that he would be kind of a developmental guy this year. Um, I think they wanted him to... Be on the down on the field on passing downs, but like on every down, they were worried about his pass blocking. Uh, I think that's generally proven somewhat true this year, especially early on. He's gotten a little bit better, but uh, yeah, I think that's why Griffin is still playing as much as he is.
1: What do you when when it comes to Bill O'Brien? And and if you don't want to answer this, don't don't feel like you have to. (laughs) Uh,
2: That's the start of every good question, right there. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Okay. So when when it comes to Bill O'Brien and the way that he uh, the way he is with the media, I have this theory that he is that way because of the dumb questions that the media asks him. Um, You know, like I think one of the questions two weeks ago was, you know, when something about like. You know, when Deshaun has a game like that, does that really does that really help your team? You know, stupid stupid questions that obviously mean nothing to Bill O'Brien because obviously, if the quarterback has a good game, it's going to help this team. Um, you know, what is what is your thought of Bill O'Brien from a media perspective? I mean, I, I think he's an awesome coach. I think he has his flaws for sure, but I think he has the potential to lead this team to where it needs to go.
2: I mean, it's no different than having Gary Kubiak, really, as far as media. Um, you know, he's going to say what he needs to say and not a whole lot more. And, and I think that's an intentional decision that doesn't have anything to do with what questions he gets asked because, listen, these players get asked dumber. Let me let me tell you, as somebody who's been there, um, <laughs> these players get asked dumber on a day-to-day basis. But, uh, but yeah, I, th- I think that's an intentional decision. I think that uh, Bill intentionally craft this persona because if you're kind of surly about these things, then, then you actually do get better treatment. You actually do get less uh, scrutiny um, from these questions. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Texans have cultivated certainly um, the media environment that they want from that sort, sort of
1: thing. Yeah. But do you think that like, if, if somebody, if like, the, when there are good questions, I feel like Bill O'Brien really does engage those questions. Like Paul Gallant seems to ask pretty good questions, Um, Mike Meltzer at times asks some pretty good questions. I I feel like if there's, if it's not about injuries and if it's not about like a guaranteed, like, yeah, obviously that helps us or whatever it would be. I feel like he would actually be okay in these press conferences.
2: Well, you you know, it's, it's no different than Belichick. Really. You get him started talking about, uh, You know what a left-footed punter does, and he'll give you like three paragraphs of stuff. You ask him a question that he's prepared to, you know, give a non-answer to, and he's going to give you the non-answer. So it's with 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 any difficult um, media personality like like O'Brien, like uh, who else would I say Brian Cushing when he was with the Texans was a tough interview, (laughs) very hard very hard to crack that. So. You have know, anybody like that, uh, you know, as an interviewer, you're trying to come up with a question that kind of catches them off guard. Uh, and that's kind of where you start to see the person underneath the media training come out.
1: Yeah. Okay. No, that's fair. All right. With, uh, obviously we haven't talked about Justin Reed too much. And uh, we did mention the safeties a little bit and how much Brian Gaines likes him. But are, are you somewhat surprised at the impact that Justin Reed has had and do you think that there should be a case made for him as Defensive Rookie of the Year?
2: Not after last week.
1: Yeah, he um, had a bad week. Uh, he had a bad I week. Think,
2: I think he, he, he let it go to his head a little bit, maybe. Um, I don't know. I mean that. he, he uh, He's definitely played really well, he's definitely, you know, long term. You know, you look at the safeties in this in this league, that's the guy, um, Eddie Jackson's the guy, you know, you, you want to build a team around, around that kind of safety play. But, uh, you know, defensive rookies, uh, it tends to be pass rushers mainly. It tends to be linebackers who pile up those tackle numbers. Um, I think he was always kind of behind the ball there, especially how Bradley Chubb has been able to you know, pair of Von Miller and see the kind of looks that he's seen because of that. So I don't think he was ever really in the, in the rookie of the year conversation. I understand why um, there's like this, you know, if you like look at red sometimes I'll go into the Texans red and check it out. And there's this real swirl of emotions around the idea that uh, the Texas players never really get their due uh, nationally. I think that is uh, a little overstated. But but when when you cultivate that kind of atmosphere, I feel like uh, you know the questions tend to become, well, is it a respect thing? Well, in this case, no. I, I just think that Reed hasn't been up to top rookie level.
1: So would you say that it's between Darius Leonard and Bradley Chubb?
2: I, I would I would bet it's on Chubb for sure. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm, I don't know what the odds are. I'm sure, but they've released them somewhere. so you know, Vegas lets you bet on anything these days. But I, I would definitely bet on on Chubb.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you think that the honey badger is going to be here long term?
2: You know, that's something that uh, I, I reached. I, I reached my <laughs> what, what what can I say? Was my modicum of sources my my very tiny amount of sources, <laughs> <laughs> the garner of this business in however many years that I've because because I, I read the, wrote the piece this week uh, obviously I've been trying to trying to read the two leaves on that. I definitely think the Texans have a lot of respect for his leadership. I think that uh, you know going 0 and three he was one of the kind of the clarifying voices in the room when that all happened um. You know, to just put your head down and work and not worry so much about, you know, the emotions of it. And I think, you know, teams in the past might have fallen. Texans teams in the past might have seen 0-3 and, and cowered up a little bit. Um, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. I think he deserves a lot of credit for his versatility, for what he's done for this uh, defense as far as helping disguise the cornerbacks for sure. Uh, is he going to be here long term? that that's uh that's that's a big question uh i think i think if the texans can get him near what he's making now i think that probably will he'll he'll probably stay for that um i think if uh you know he gets a bigger offer if somebody sets his mark gives him arizona money uh, in that case i don't think the texans will keep him
1: okay and then let me ask you this uh with how do I phrase this? Um, Patrick Peterson was uh, allegedly on the trade market during the right before the trade deadline, uh, and then it, it sounds like there no team was willing to give up a first round pick for Pat Pete. Um, Pat Pete's my favorite corner in the league. Um, I've been a huge fan of him for since the time he was drafted. Um, do you think? there's any chance in the off season that the Texans would trade for Patrick Peterson? I do. You do. I do. You just made my day. Can you expand please? <laughs>
2: well, I mean, look, I, I think, you know, Patrick Peterson's thing was the, the Arizona wasn't sure if they wanted to give a bottom. I think they had some organizational indecisiveness. Um, you know, I, I think they, they envision a quick turnaround, but, uh, when you, when you go and do as poorly as they did in office this year, uh, if, if, I don't know what they're on pace to go now. I think it's three and 13. Yeah. I think it's three and 13. Yeah. Like, you know, you might see the head coach get fired. You might see the general manager get fired. You know, a lot can happen when, when as, as Texans fans know, when you have that kind of record, um, Hello, Jadavian Clowney, and uh, and yeah, <laughs> I think I think you might see some some power vacuum moves in Arizona, and I definitely think the Texans will be checking that situation a lot.
1: Yeah, I think you're I think you're 100 right. I think now, would you give up a first round pick for him?
2: Hmm.
1: He's 29. Is uh, Your
2: first round pick is a, a future first rounder, or is my 2019 first rounder?
1: It's your 2019 first rounder, but you still have two seconds.
2: <sighs> probably
1: yeah yeah i'm, I'm on I the same wa- boat.
2: i wouldn't want to i, I would definitely negotiate <laughs> down from that though but but yeah like if if push come to shove you look, you know you look at because you, you know we're still we're, we're pretty far away from draft season i don't know what kind of players they're thinking they're getting there but you know if you look at uh you know random let's say 26th overall pick cornerback versus patrick peterson and you've got cash days to pay him. Yep. And yeah, I mean that—that's pretty appealing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think also his his deal is very friendly. Um, he's not. I think it's twelve. Is it twelve million a year, John? Eleven or twelve million a year? It's nothing crazy. And he's got another three years left on the deal. He just turned twenty nine. Um, and he's definitely well, hands down. You, you
2: may you may have to repay him on, on that deal if you trade for him. But yeah, it's 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 a it's a very friendly deal. I Actually, wrote something on insider you know the start of the season that was the the most team-friendly contracts and Peterson was one of them so yeah yeah for sure he's got a good one
1: yeah and, and when you talk about what Patrick Peterson brings to a team um I I honestly I I love I love Jalen Ramsey, um but I still think Patrick Peterson is hand is the best corner in the league I, I really honestly don't think that it could be um I, I, I honestly don't think there's a better corner in the league. I, I really don't. Would you agree? I mean, you watch film. I mean, would you say that he's the best corner in the league?
2: No, I would not say that. Really? But uh, I also think that Ramsey has been slagged on this year, and I would say poorly coached. So, like, I, I think on raw talent, you got to go with Ramsey on this one. Um, Peterson is definitely top tier. Uh, if you start to come with a list of cornerbacks, uh, you know he's definitely not on my top five. But, uh, but he, yeah, he's I, not I, on I think your Ramsey, top five. He's definitely in my top
1: five. Oh, okay, okay,
2: okay. But I think Ramsey is is far and away number one right now.
1: Yeah, John has this theory that Jalen Ramsey is going to play for the Texans in the next couple of years.
2: <laughs> well. <laughs> I mean,
1: it's it's good to have dreams, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely a dream. I didn't say
0: it was unrealistic. <laughs> no, you didn't say it was
1: realistic, but... Um, I just
0: said that he has a man crush on Deshaun, and that he's going to be a headache, and if, we may have a chance because we know how Tom Coughlin deals with headaches.
1: Yeah, but he also shares agents with Deshaun, so I think that that's another part of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's good to dream. Like I said, it, it's great to dream. I'm all for you guys having unrealistic dreams for the Texans. <laughs> Hope they come true. <laughs>
0: hey, man. Uh,
2: I, I, don't think that will, I don't think that's, that's got any chance. They're not happen,
1: trading him but, into the division. But,
2: but crazier things have happened.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right, literally I swear the last one this time, but we are definitely going to have to have you on again because this this conversation is awesome, and I know the listeners are going to love it. Can you talk a little bit about, not necessarily Demarius Thomas as a receiver, but talk about Demarius Thomas as a blocker and what he has brought to this team?
2: Okay. Um... I mean, there's not really a whole lot to add of, uh, other than, you know, Demarius has a really nice, you know, physique. He, he's very well-toned. Um, he's he, he's technically sound as a blocker. I don't think that, uh, you know, you're going to run run him into the backfield and, and play him at fullback or
1: anything. No, no, but, no.
2: But he's, he's he has done a lot on the edge for this team, and I, I guess my most memorable play for him would be... Uh, the Titans game on Monday night, um, Lamar had his, had a sweep coming toward him, yep. and he had blocked it perfectly. And Lamar tripped on the turf. Yep, uh, would have been a touchdown. Would have been but, a touchdown. Uh, Demarius Thomas uh, got that last block.
1: Yeah, I I I, uh, I don't do a lot of writing because I'm not good at it, but I did a piece on our website about Demarius Thomas, and I I actually thought that one of the bigger bigger parts about Demarius Thomas that was going to help this team was his run blocking. I know nobody wants to hear that because. When you're paying a wide receiver $14 million a year, you you don't want him to be known for his run blocking. But um, when it comes to the outside edges and setting the edges and the counters and and things like that, when you have a willing blocker at wide receiver, it it changes the run game completely.
2: Yeah. uh, You know, that was something that the old Texans used to get with uh, Kevin Walter. Kevin Walter. Uh, you know, you, you would, everybody would always talk about how, oh, well, this will be the year they replaced Kevin Walter with somebody fast and dynamic, and it <laughs> turns out that actually Kevin Walter's blocking was so well valued that he kept on, you know, he kept that second receiver job in Houston for, what, five years, six yeah. years? Like, he was here a long time, and, you know, coaches respect that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, no, Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Rivers, we we really, honestly, appreciate this conversation. We appreciate you taking the amount of time that you took to have a conversation with us. If you could uh, one more time, plug plug your website, uh, plug wherever else it would be that they can find your writing, and then also your Twitter and whatever else it would be that you would want people to follow you on.
2: Uh, sure. At Rivers McAllen, uh, R-I-V-E-R-S M-C-C-O-W-N. Um, I post all the links to my articles on that. I try to do a uh, I try to tweet out the film stuff that I do too. Um, I know that the athletic has a paywall. So, uh, you know, if for whatever reason you can't subscribe, uh, you don't want to do the free trial stuff. I get it. It's, you know, the, the, the web world is a little intimidating sometimes, but, uh, if you're not going to subscribe, then, uh, I do tweet out my videos. So I, I go over those and, uh, you know, please come, come talk to me on there. Um, I like to think I'm pretty approachable. Um, Please follow me on there. Please follow, uh, uh, what is it, Athletic Houston, the Athletic HOU. That's where all my stuff goes up recently, uh, as far as Texans. And uh, also follow Aaron Rice at uh, at Aaron J. Rice.
1: Awesome. Rivers, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And, and guys, if if the subscription thing is a problem, um, you're missing out on good content. So so don't hesitate to sign up for that tr- free trial and, and see how it goes before you do it. Uh, And then make sure you give him a follow because he is definitely uh, one of, if not the best Texans uh, follows on uh, Twitter. So Rivers, thank you so much, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, guys.